You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation! We're back in the conclusion of Week 12. Well, at least the Sunday afternoon games anyway, which is what we'll be talking about in today's episode. Of course, tomorrow you'll be able to tune in for the Sunday night, the Monday night, and the waiver wire report, as always. But for now, we have a lot that we have to go over, what happened in Sunday's Week 12 games, what it means for the future moving forward, and hopefully, hopefully, you guys listening to MD Nation are still very much in your playoff race after this week's games, or still have a chance heading into the Monday night game. Of course, as a guy who does a podcast for fantasy football, it's always really interesting to see. I'll have a rough idea exactly how many of you are still in the playoff race because after this when you do a fantasy football podcast it's usually after week 12 that you start to see who made the playoffs because all of a sudden your listenership seems to drop off at that point because people who didn't make the playoffs just kind of want to move on I understand I'm emotional about my fantasy football leagues as well and when I get knocked out of the playoffs I don't much want to deal with it either now of course I'm in multiple leagues so even if I'm knocked out of the playoffs in one league I'm probably in another but that's what we happens in MD Nation. That's what happens with fantasy football. Hopefully, you guys are, even if you have not made the playoffs in any, any one of your leagues, you're still going to listen to the show as we move forward. Because thankfully, nowadays, we have DraftKings, we have FanDuel, we have DFS play. And of course, we're still going to be going over all the players that have value from week to week and previewing the matchups and grinding it out all the way through until we're done with the entire season, including Week 17 for those amateur hour leagues that still have their championship games decided in the most irrelevant week of the football season. That's right. I'm still here for you guys. I will call you amateur hour because you should always end your league on Week 16, but I will still be here for those of you who do not because I'm here for all of MD Nation, even if I make fun of you just a little bit. But enough of that. Let's go ahead and get into the episode, hit the break, get into the other side because we have a lot to talk about this week. 
The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. Now, no matter what situation you found yourselves in after this week, one of the observations that we come away from Week 12, at least with Sunday afternoon games anyway, is that, relatively speaking, there weren't really any injuries of note, any long-term injuries at that. So there are a couple guys that got banged up and knocked out of the game here and there, but even such like Julio Jones types, they were knocked out but came back in, and there wasn't anybody of real note that actually had a long-term injury, which is something new for a week. Something we haven't had in a while. We hadn't had a key injury to a, a key fantasy impact player. So that was one of the silver linings coming out of this week. But to kick things off, we're going to go ahead and jump into the Carolina-New Orleans Saints game. And this was one of the better games that we had throughout the week. 34-31 to came down to the wire. The Saints were blowing out the Panthers and all of a sudden the Panthers came roaring back in the second half to make this a hell of a ball game. And quite frankly, were a couple of really bad Joey Sly missed field goals away from actually winning this game or at least having this game tied and going into overtime. Especially that last one he missed was an absolute shank. And a guy who was number one fantasy kicker at one point this season has really fallen off over the past few weeks with a few misses and not getting nearly as many opportunities as he was early on. Now in this game, you saw Kyle Allen bounce back from an abysmal week a week ago. Didn't have a huge game, but had a solid game in this one. 256 yards, three touchdowns. The biggest thing was that he didn't throw any interceptions, which is something he's been doing a lot of over the past few weeks. And that was really the big reason that the Panthers were able to stay in this game. Outside of that, Christian McCaffrey had a great fantasy game for you because he always finds a way. But the Saints actually did hold him in check on the running game. He had 22 carries, only 64 yards, less than three yards a carry, but still came away with a rushing touchdown, still came away with nine catches for 69 yards and a receiving touchdown on nine targets. And that's the, that's been the MO of Chris McCaffrey. Even if he runs into a matchup that he can get slowed down in the rushing attack because he's just so involved in every facet of the game, because he gets so many touches throughout the offense, because he is the offense, he still finds himself having a terrific fantasy game. 
And that's why he's been so awesome. That's why you had to pay for him DFS. That's why if you have Christian McCaffrey, I would say it's probably hard-pressed for you not to be in the playoffs right now and looking good on your roster. He's just off to an historic season. And for those of you who are trying to say that Christian McCaffrey doesn't belong in the MVP conversation this season, you have not been paying attention. Even if the Panthers don't make the playoffs, he's still somebody who at least belongs in the conversation because of the historic season that he is having. Nobody affects the game in every facet the way Christian McCaffrey has with the amount of touches that he has had, especially in today's NFL where running backs don't get opportunities to touch the ball the way that he has. And he just continues to be rock and roll. Now, the guy we really need to talk about is DJ Moore. Finally gets the lid off the end zone in this one and gets two touchdowns. Six catches, 126 yards on nine targets. Now, here's been the deal, right? Because DJ Moore, since pretty much week five now when Kyle Allen has taken over, has been worked in more and more and more and is getting his targets. He's guaranteed right now 8 to 10 targets every week. And as a result of that, Curtis Samuel has not only just touchdown dependent, but has to score in order to even give you anything. He doesn't even have a floor unless he gets you a touchdown. Now in this game, he actually wound up being okay, or at least giving you a floor of somewhat. It didn't totally goose you because he had four carries for 40 yards rushing. But receiving one catch for nine yards in this game against a Marshawn Lattimore-less Saints defense and only had four targets. That's the key right there. Because the one thing about Curtis Samuel heading into this matchup is on paper it was a plus matchup, but he weren't really sure how Kyle Allen was going to play. The biggest thing was you knew you needed a touchdown to Curtis Samuel to have a good game. But you had a floor there because this is somebody who has been averaging between six to eight targets every single week, even with DJ Moore getting his target share more and more as he's moved forward with Kyle Allen. And in this game, to only get four behind McCaffrey, behind Greg Olson, it's really something to watch out for where you're going to have to make sure it's a very favorable matchup, I think, at this point to play Curtis Samuel. Because otherwise, you're sitting there with a guy who may not be anything more than a low-end wide receiver four at this point, and maybe a touchdown gets you in. He's basically borderline not startable from here on out, because you see what happens when he doesn't score. Greg Olson, five catches, 44 yards on seven targets. PPR league, he's somebody who continues to have somewhat of a floor, but it's two hit or miss. He hasn't scored in a really long time. And there's got to be a lot of better options, and I don't think Greg Olson's going to be improving in that capacity anytime soon. There's nothing more than a low-end streaming option as still, still moving forward. On the same side of the ball, Drew Brees, very good game here. 311 yards, three touchdowns, just had the one pick. Michael Thomas, of course, was great as always. Ten catches because the guy's ridiculous because he can't not get ten double-digit receptions in a game anymore, it seems like. Eleven targets. 101 yards, touchdown. He is the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. Hands down. No no doubt about it. The production he's put up is ridiculous. The fact that there's really not a second wide receiver on this team, and yet he still finds ways to get open the way that he does. The Saints move him and utilize him the way that they do. I mean, there's just nobody, nobody who's been better than Michael Thomas. Alvin Kamara, once again, had his normal role. Nine targets, nine catches, 48 yards in the receiving game. 11 carries for 54 yards. He's just going to get you 100 yards from scrimmage almost every time. And if you're in those PPR leagues, Alvin Kamara is lighting it up because he's he's back. He's back to getting 7 to 9 catches in his own right every single week. Now, the guy that we want to take note of in the passing game is Jared Cook. 
Six catches, 99 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. This is now a few weeks in a row that Jared Cook has been heavily worked into the passing game. This is a few weeks in a row where he's been a tight end one. Now, he's not going to be a guy who, who consistently puts you in the top five of tight ends. He's not even a guy who will consistently put you in the top eight of tight ends. But that range from 9 to 12 with upside potential because they start working him in the red zone more and more like they had the past few weeks, suddenly he could find himself inside that top 10 more often than not, maybe, maybe inside the top eight. So Jared Cook is somebody who I know is out there on some waivers. He's not less than 50% owned, but he's not 70% owned on average right now. He's become a guy who should be a low-end tight end one for the rest of the season. Finally, a cohesion right now going on with him and Drew Brees and this offense. They're finding their way here. And the other thing they got going in this game was Latavius Murray. Seven carries, 64 yards, a touchdown. You knew this was a plus matchup going in. You knew that there was going to be a game that Latavius Murray was to have a role and be able to produce. It would be this week. He did most of his damage early on. The, you know, the Saints had to go back to throwing the football after the Panthers were able to make a comeback in the second half. So you kind of got, you kind of saw him get lost in this game script as it went on. But start expecting him to get more work, especially in these plus matchups. He is somebody who's flex viable in a plus. Now it has to be a plus matchup. If you if they're going up against a tougher run defense, then you can just expect Alvin Kamara to catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's not going to have much of a role because, frankly, he's not somebody who's going to get you anywhere more than between eight to twelve carries a game, and he's just not involved in the passing game. But. It's good to see him be able to have a role here if you're looking to see, does he have flex play for you moving forward? Can he be somebody who's still rosterable? And the answer to that is yes. As far as the other receivers, they still remain irrelevant, frankly, in this offense. Traquan Smith got the touchdown, but that was it. That was all he did. One catch, 13 yards, and a touch. So it's just Kamara, it's just Thomas, it's just Jared Cook, which is good for fantasy purposes. Their big dogs are the ones who are going to get the ball week in and week out, no matter what's going on. So for our next game up, we have the Seahawks and the Philadelphia Eagles that we're going to talk about here. And this was, from a fantasy perspective, a very disappointing game. First, we had the Eagles who, you know, had Alshon Jeffrey, who had been told all week was had a great chance to come back and make a comeback and return this week. And that wound up not happening. As we got closer to it, as it was more of a game-time decision, and then all of a sudden he went from probably playing to not playing at all. And that really hurt Carson Wentz. Look, he threw the ball 45 times in this game, completed 33 of his passes, still only had 256 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions against a Seattle secondary that had been ripe for the taking against most teams and most matchups. And this was in Philadelphia. Look, right now, Carson Wentz, until he gets Alshon Jeffrey back, until he gets some of these healthy weapons back to his disposal, he's not somebody you can really start on a whim right now. If he has a very plus matchup coming up, like when they play Washington Redskins, sure. But otherwise, you got you to wait till Alshon Jeffries actually back out there and playing before you can play Carson Wentz with really any confidence right now. And even then, he doesn't have that ceiling because they just have no speed on this offense. People are playing them in the box, and there's no reason to fear the deep ball because no one can beat the corners deep. And that's been the real issue with Carson Wentz. It hasn't been his play. It's the weapons around him right now. In the rushing game, we said Miles Sanders was going to get the majority of touches, and he did. 12 carries, 63 yards. He was running very effectively, especially with no Jadavion Clowney, but they just kind of got taken out of the game script. It was an ugly game. It was a wet game. They had to throw the ball a ton in this one to try to come back, especially late. Look, fact is, they abandoned the running game way too early. 
Because this game was never out of hand. They were never down by more than a score or two. But they just abandoned the running game altogether, which is really surprising to me when you consider the fact that they didn't have a lot of healthy weapons. And then the fact that they abandoned the running game, but Miles Sanders still only gets three catches on 23 yards and five targets, is really where you go scratching your head because it's like, okay, use your playmaker. Use the check down. I checked that to get it corrected. And as long as Jordan Howard continues to miss, I expect Miles Sanders to get the majority of the work in the backfield. Jay Ajayi came in. They said, oh, he's going to have a much bigger role. All right. Yeah, he had six carries compared to zero last week. He's still getting himself worked back in. He's not just that he's getting worked back into the NFL. He's still trying to get in game shape. This is a guy who was coming off of a major injury, doesn't sign until halfway through this season. A banged-up offensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles. The idea to expect him to do anything, really, is mind-boggling to me. Plus, with no Jordan Howard, there's no reason not to get Miles Sanders involved if you're hell-bent that he can be a three-down back. So I still think Miles Sanders is somebody you can play as a high-end flex play and a low-end RB2 in plusser matchups that have more pro game scripts for the Eagles coming up. But only if Jordan Howard's out. Then I expect to go back to the Howards, the runner, Sanders, the pass catcher. That's what we're going to wait to see. But I don't expect Jay Ajayi to go into the Jordan Howard role and take away Miles Sanders from being the lead rusher. As far as everyone else goes, Zach Ertz, he's on a tear. He's back. 12 catches, 91 yards, a touchdown, 14 targets. If you have weathered the storm with Zach Ertz for the first, you know, almost two-thirds of the season thus far, and you're actually in position to make the playoffs, you're sitting in pretty good position because now all of a sudden that tight end one that you drafted is finally performing how you need him to. Now, part of it is due to just a lack of weapons everywhere else. But even when Alshon Jeffrey comes back, I still expect Zach Ertz to continue his heavy volume share. Because right now, Carson Wentz doesn't have too many guys he can lean on. That's one of the few that he can. And he's clearly taken back his role from Dallas Goddard, who was heavily worked in this one. Eight targets, seven catches, only 32 yards, though. Didn't score. Not a lot of production there. Ursh is just much better from a production standpoint when given the opportunities. But he's been clear-cut the lead guy as far as the tight end situation goes when they was starting to get a little bit hairy if that was really going to be the case. So if you weathered storm Zach Ertz, you're looking to be in pretty good shape down the road here because he looks to be back in his prominent role. For the Seahawks' side of the ball here, we had a couple surprising things. Let's let's start with the first surprising thing, which is Russell Wilson. He was going to be my number one quarterback on the week, and pff, that didn't come to fruition at all. All of a sudden, the Philadelphia Eagles haven't been the gimme matchup for quarterbacks and wide receivers that it had been for the past few weeks. Now, like I said, there was some bad weather, but it wasn't enough where it should have been this abysmal. 13 of 25, 200 yards, a touchdown, an interception. Didn't run much, only 15 yards on the ground. Now, the fact is he didn't wind up having to do too much for them to win this game, and that was part of the problem. And they'll be in games where they have more shootout type of situations given offenses that have been able to take advantage of their secondaries and won't be as banged up as the Philadelphia Eagles were. But it does concern you a little bit, I think, moving forward, that if they find themselves in situations where they don't have to throw the ball, they won't press the issue. Now, I think the big one in this game was the shocking production of Rashad Penny. And I'm not just talking about the 58-yard touchdown that he had. Obviously, you're going to have a bigger-than-normal stat line when you have a play like that. It's the fact that he had 14 carries to Chris Carson's 8. 126 yards to Chris Carson's 26. 
That we weren't expecting. Where did that come from? Rashad Penny hasn't outcarried Chris Carson once all season long. Rashad Penny hasn't even had half of Chris Carson's carries in any one particular game all season long. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's the lead runner? Look, Rashad Penny's not somebody who's going to have flex appeal for me down the road. And while this does make me a little bit nervous if I'm a Chris Carson owner, I still know that they're going to go back to that well. I still know that he's going to be the lead rusher more times than not down the road. He's still an RB2 for me. But it's definitely it's definitely a scary factor. Receiver-wise, completely disappointing. To be expected when Russell Wilson was as disappointing as he was. Tyler Lockett, one catch, 38 yards on two targets. DK Metcalf, three catches, 35 yards on six targets. He was actually by far the lead targeted guy at six targets. Josh Gordon, two two targets, one catch, 10 yards. Look, it just I can go on and on. Jacoby Hollister, two catches, 22 yards on four targets. Just nobody, nobody in the passing game was that utilized. Which, that's the real disappointing factor when you... When we're talking about fantasy perspective, because against the Philadelphia Eagles, you expect the wide receivers, at least one of the wide receivers, to go off and do well. That just didn't happen here. It was a weird game. I'm not going to read too much into it. I still think Tyler Lockett is a high-end wide receiver two. I still think DK Metcalf is a wide receiver three with big play upside. Josh Gordon is probably droppable after this game. We didn't know what was going to happen after the bye week. He got worked in a little bit in key situations against the 49ers before their bye week. But after seeing this game against the Philadelphia Eagles, now yes, the entire passing game as a whole wasn't quite there. But it kind of just goes to show you that he's not taking a more prominent role in the sense of cutting into DK Metcalf and cutting into Tyler Lockett. And as a result, being that there's no more bye weeks coming up, I don't know when you would feel like you need to play Josh Gordon or want to play Josh Gordon. So he's definitely droppable if you've had him on your teams thus far. Next game we want to talk about, Denver Broncos, Buffalo Bills. This was, this was projected to be an ugly game. And honestly, the Bills scoring 20 points is probably more points than I expected any one of these teams to score in this, in this matchup. Josh Allen was fine. 15 to 25, 185, two touchdowns, interception, tacked on 56 yards on the ground. If you played Josh Allen, you were fine. You got your solid quarterback game that you needed. You got your 18 to 20 points that you needed. So you're not going to complain about this matchup because he ran the ball and he just continues to have the floor because he rushes. And this was a matchup where I was curious to see because this is a defense that has some speed, that has linebackers who are play disciplined because of the Vangio system that they run and yet Josh Allen was still able to get his on the ground as long as that's going to be the case he's somebody who's going to be a serviceable borderline QB one for you week in and week out regardless of whether he's having a good throwing day or not John Brown finds a way look he only had two catches he only had 39 yards he only had four targets but he had the touchdown at the end of the game he finds a way to just be fantasy relevant every single week Cole Beasley was big time here. Six catches, 76 yards, touchdown, nine targets. He's still not somebody I can trust. He's still nothing more than a wide receiver four for me. Is there a certain game, certain matchups where defenses aim to take away John Brown that Cole Beasley is going to have a high-volume situation? Yeah, but that volume doesn't always correlate in the production given Josh Allen's inaccuracy from game to game. He's nothing more than a desperate play moving forward, so I don't think you would play Cole Beasley, even though he's had a few games like this now this season. 
but I still would not trust him moving forward. Devin Singletary had a great game. 21 carries, 106 yards, only tacked on one catch for eight yards in this game. But against a Denver Broncos defense that has been pretty pretty stiff against the run as of late, to see him, again, get 21 carries, to see him produce the way that he did is a great sign moving forward. It's a great bounce-back game that he's had after last week only getting nine carries for 40 yards. This team still wants to run the football first. And in games like this where it's a pro game script where they can control it and they can run it as much as they want to, he's going to get his opportunities. He is still going to be the lead guy. Frank Gore wasn't far behind him. 15 carries, 65 yards, becomes the third all-time rushing leader today. Goes ahead, Barry Sanders. How about that? But for fantasy purposes, looking forward, yeah, Devin Singletary is still an RB2. He's just always going to have that annoying situation where if the Bills have to be more aggressive through the air, if the Bills do are not in a pro game script, Frank Gore is going to take away enough touches from Devin Singletary that he can find himself having a low floor. And that's that's the annoying part. That's where it makes it tough for the playoffs to be able to trust him week in and week out depending on the matchup. But in ones like this, we're playing against teams that you know offensively they're not going to be able to do much against his defense. You'll be fine. He'll have a safe floor from a week-to-week basis. Ran the ball 36 times between the two of them. So as long as they're able to do that, you'll be fine. On the Broncos side of the ball here, Brandon Allen was terrible again. Brandon Allen's not good. He's not. He's not their future. I mean, they drafted Julak to be their future anyway. It's not like he's supposed to be their future, but man, is he awful. Cortland Sutton has his first dud game really this season as far as dud games go, but since they've traded away Emmanuel Sanders, one catch for 27 yards, he had eight targets. And this is just chalked up to a game in which the Buffalo Bills dominated defensively. You know it's going to be a tough matchup going into it, but Cortland Sutton, you knew somebody, he got the amount of targets that you were looking for in this game. And you know he's somebody who in tough matchups has still been very good because he's had a high floor because of that volume. But outside of that first play, that first pass play in the game, where he caught the 27-yarder, didn't didn't get involved again in the offense. They weren't able to hit him in stride. Brandon Allen was just beyond terrible. And they just could not move the ball as an offense in this matchup. For the second, for, I shouldn't say second, third week in a row, Noah Fant was second in the team in targets. They only had five here, three catches, 14 yards. You knew it wasn't going to be a good match against the Buffalo Bills, who have been very good against the tight ends all year long. But it's just good to see that the volume pecking order didn't change even in a game in which totally did not go to Denver Broncos' way. So I do think Noah Fan is somebody who's going to be streaming worthy at the tight end position down the road if he continues to see this kind of target share, which he should see. And this gives us confidence in that at least moving forward, even though he didn't have a very good game for you in this one. As far as the running game goes, it's Philip Lindsay's backfield apparently. I'm not, I mean, Royce Freeman didn't really do anything to lose his role, but look, Phil Lindsay had 13 carries, Royce Freeman had two. And Lindsay wasn't that involved in the passing game, only three targets, but Royce Freeman only had two targets in this one. So it's Phil Lindsay's backfield all of a sudden, out of nowhere. He had 57 yards rushing in this game, wasn't, wasn't great, wasn't very good, wasn't able to take advantage of the fact that the Buffalo Bills defense had been gashed against the run as of late, but at the same time, this was a team that was down multiple scores for most of it and just couldn't offensively keep drives going at all, period. And that's going to kill anybody's fantasy value when you run into a situation like that. Better days are ahead for Philip Lindsay. 
Next game up, the Raiders and the Jets. The blowout game. So I know a lot of people talked about this game being a trap game. And I actually picked the Jets in most of my polls, too. And did it ever be proven to be a trap game? You could definitely tell the Raiders as a team were definitely looking ahead to next week when they have to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Without a doubt. And the Jets did the Chiefs a huge favor. But 34-3? 34-3. Derek Carr, who had been playing well, 15 completions out of 27 attempts, only 127 yards. The other thing that he did that he doesn't normally do is throw an interception in this game with no touchdowns. I feel really bad for anybody who streamed Derek Carr this week because I know there's people out there who wanted to because he had been playing well because on paper this was a plus matchup. Now it was a little bit rainy, but it didn't slow the Jets down at all. And they just weren't able to get anyone in sync. Josh Jacobs for the first time in weeks didn't have 20 carries in this game. He only had 10 for 34 yards. A lot of that had to do with game flow. They were down you know, 13 to nothing, headed in half. And then came out in the third quarter. The Jets put up 21 points in the third quarter. At that point, yeah, abandoned the run. As a result, we saw Jalen Shard get heavily involved. Seven targets, six catches, 47 yards. That's the part that bugs me if I'm a Josh Jacobs owner. Because the whole thing about Josh Jacobs coming out of college is that he was supposed to be a guy who could be a pass catcher for you. He was supposed to be a guy who could play all three downs because he could do it all. There was actually question marks on whether or not he could carry the load in the running game. It was a matter of, hey, he's going to be involved in the passing game, so that's what's going to give him his safe floor. And that has not been the case. You've been depending upon him to get 20 carries because they still want to work Jalen Richard in. And it was proven in this game. A game that could not have been more lopsided, could not have been more game script for a passing attack. It was Jalen Richard. Josh Jacobs had one target. One. That concerns me. That concerns me moving forward. That concerns me against the Chiefs. They're a plus match for the run. You're going to play Josh Jacobs. He's still an RB2. But what happens if the Chiefs put up a ton of points? Is he going to disappear? Is that going to happen in your playoff run? That bugs me moving forward. The fact that Josh Jacobs still has yet to really take hold of the passing game. And it's not because of anything he's done or lack of production at that. It's just the fact that it's simple. John Gruden, for whatever reason, wants Dalen Richard to have his role. That, that is clear. And that's not going to change this season. So something to kind of have to keep in mind when you move in when you move forward. Once we got out week 13, we got one game left, people. One game. One regular season game left. And then it's playoff time. These are things to consider moving into it. Because then it's, it's a one-week season. It's do or die. Darren Waller, six targets, three catches, 41 yards. As far as the normal pass catchers, not including Jalen Richard, because he's not a normal pass catcher for this team, he was the lead targeted guy. So he's kind of gotten back to being very much involved in the offense. I do like that for him moving forward. Now, yes, you can say this was another somewhat disappointing game, but it wasn't a great game on paper. The Jets have been pretty good against the tight end so far this season. The biggest thing was that he had a couple weeks stretch where he was only getting two or three targets. That has changed over the past couple of weeks. They've gone back to getting him the ball, getting him more involved. Hunter Renfro did get knocked out of this game at one point. We'll see what his injury entails. He had five targets, three catches, 31 yards. He should be okay, though, from all uh, reports that we've had so far. Then the other disappointment was Tyrell Williams. Six targets, two catches, 16 yards. He was a guy a lot of people, I had him ranked as a wide receiver, three in a plus match against the New York Jets, and he totally bombed out for you. Just totally disappointing. 
better days are ahead. They're playing against the Chiefs next week. There's going to have to be some offense. They're going to be some volume scored. They're going to improve the production next week. So you'll still have Tyrell Williams to be a wide receiver three. You'll still have Darren Waller be a tight end one. You'll still have Josh Jacobs to be an RB two. I just maybe stay away from Derek Carr. On the Jets side of the ball, we had a lot of surprising developments. Some things we hadn't seen yet. Look, Sam Darnold was good. And he, this is a trend now because last few weeks he has been pretty good. 315 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions in this game. Even had a rushing touchdown. He was a com- he was a common streamer. He came through for you. But the big thing to me was Robbie Anderson, for the first time all season long, finally got involved in the offense. Four catches, 86 yards, a touchdown on five targets. Had a 31-yarder in this game. Now, it's not something that you can feel confident about moving forward. Robbie Anderson's not going to be somebody who's going to be on the waiver report to pick up. But it shows that maybe it's possible. We saw this at the end of last year where all of a sudden there seemed to be a rapport between Darnold and Robbie Anderson. As Darnold played with more confidence, he was more willing to take more shots down the field. And therefore, Robbie Anderson was actually becoming relevant again. We've seen this in action before. I'm not going to sink my teeth into it. And even though Jameson Crowder had a disappointing game in this one, only four targets, two catches for 18 yards, that four targets was only behind Le'Veon Bell and Robbie Anderson. So he's still his guy. Just This game just didn't go his way. The game didn't need to go his way. Ryan Griffin scores, thankfully, because I had him as one of my top streaming tight ends for a lot of people, and he only had three catches for 13 yards otherwise. But he did score a touchdown. And that's something he's always going to have the possibility of doing. He is one of the main red zone threats for Sam Darnold week in and week out. And to me, it's still Crowder, who I trust, and Griffin's still a streamer option because he has the touchdown potential. I'm still not trusting Robbie Anderson. I'm still not going to be trusting Demarius Thomas, who only had two catches for 22 yards in this game as well. Le'Veon Bell had a solid game. Didn't have as many touches as you would think he would have had in this game. Didn't have as many touches as he has had in the past, but also in a game in which they won 34-3, he wasn't as involved as you would think. Only 12 carries, 49 yards. He still had four yards to carry. That's, hey, that's one of the better averages he's had this season with his Jets offensive line. Five catches, 59 yards. So he finds a way to get you 100 yards from scrimmage. Doesn't score in this one. Came really close. Stretched the ball out on a, on a reception. Just wasn't quite able to get that extra half a yard in. But this is now the fourth week in a row where he's either gotten in or has been really close to getting in, which is something unique. Because Le'Veon Bell right now, he's an RB2 due to volume. If he gets you a touchdown, he's able to catapult you into either high in RB2 status or low in RB1 status. It's just a matter of does he score. Now, I don't, as a Le'Veon Bell owner, and I am one, I am a little bit concerned the fact that because this game went so the Jets' way that he didn't touch the ball nearly as much as I I would think he should in that situation. But he still has 17 touches. It's still by far the most touches on anybody on the team. And he still gets you 100 yards from scrimmage. You're not going to complain about that game. That's the type of production that you just come to expect. It's just going to be a matter of does he get a touchdown or not. And he'll have games where he has more touches down the line. It wasn't like he split with anybody. It wasn't like anybody came in. I mean, if you want to put it, you could put it one way in the sense of he split in the sense that if you piled up Blau Powell, Josh Adams, and Ty Montgomery, put them in the one running back, then technically he was out carried by his backups because they had 14 carries between the three of them. But 
Powell only had five. Montgomery only had five. Adams only had four. And none of them really did anything with their opportunity either. So there's not some guy who I think Le'Veon Bell is stealing from. And I think they're, try- they're trying to keep him a little bit fresher. He's been a little bit banged up as of late. And towards the end here, heading in the fourth quarter especially, they didn't have any reason to get Le'Veon Bell hurt. They start playing Josh Adams a little bit here and there and sprinkling him in. There's just the game was well in hand at that point, which is why I think there's going to be better games ahead for Le'Veon Bell, especially from a volume standpoint. So I'm not worried about it there, but just a little concerning that they do seem to be trying to work in some of these backups a little bit more and more when given the opportunity to do so. I don't think there's going to be too many more games moving forward, though, where that opportunity is going to be there. There's not going to be too many games where the Jets blow out the other team. It's going to usually be the other way around. So that's why you're not really going to be too worried about it at the end of the day. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side. We still have a lot more games to get to. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. Rolling along here and talking about a game that we have to talk about because it happened as much as I don't really want to talk about this game because it was so pathetic. And that would be the Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals, a 16-10 matchup, a game in which we saw Mason Rudolph get benched for Devlin Hodges. Ugh, how abysmal this was. Mason Rudolph was 8 for 16 with 85 yards, no touchdowns, and interception. Devlin Hodges comes in. He completes less than 50% of his balls, but at least he went for 5 and 11, 118 yards and a touchdown with no interceptions. Just that. Just that one play that Devlin Hodges was able to conjure up to James Washington was enough for the Steelers to win this game. I mean, this, this game was all sorts of pathetic, especially from a fantasy standpoint, to the point where who are you going to trust? Jalen Sanders was supposed to be the lead back of this game. Guess what happened? Benny Snell had 21 carries for 98 yards. Trey Edmonds had two carries. Jalen Sanders had two carries. And he wasn't that involved in the passing game. Three targets. Three catches, 26 yards. Look, we knew that because Jalen Sanders had been so ineffective in the running game that guys like Benny Snell, guys like Trey Edmonds might get worked in. But worked in, not Benny Snell become the lead back. And get plus 20 touches. That we weren't ready for. And what does that mean moving forward? Because now, we don't know when James Conner's coming back. He could be back this week. But we don't know that for sure. We don't know how his shoulder's holding up. So what are we going to have now moving forward? The easiest answer is not to trust anyone on the Steelers' offense. Devlin Hodges playing might, might. And I... I emphasize might give some value back to Juju Smith-Schuster because when he played, that was who he looked for. He looked for the number one receiver, the real number one receiver on this team. So maybe the volume goes up for Juju Smith-Schuster if he is even to return next week. And that's another question mark that we don't know. He didn't clear concussion protocol. We don't know how bad that knee is. So that's something we're going to keep our eyes on. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at MDSFFshow for those player news, update, notifications at all times, of course. But we don't know. The easiest answer is to stay away from the Steelers team altogether. Look, 
I didn't know Mason Rudolph was going to get benched. And until he did, Deontay Johnson was the leading targeted receiver until he got benched for Hodges, and then Hodges went to James Washington. James Washington wound up with seven targets on the day. Deontay Johnson wound up with six. But all those targets to James Washington happened after Rudolph got benched. That was how lopsided it was. This is against the Cincinnati Bengals team. This is not a good defense at all. And yet the Steelers still weren't able to do anything offensively. There's not going to be a better matchup for them the rest of the season. So from a fantasy perspective, I don't know how you trust anybody on the Steelers. You're rostering James Conner. You're rostering Juju Smith-Schuster. That's it. I'm dropping Deontay. I'm dropping James Washington. I, you know, Not that you own James Washington probably anyway, but I'm definitely dropping Deontay Johnson. I'm not going to even bother with the backup running backs. I'm dropping Jalen Samuels. Because he's shown that he's not even necessarily the handcuff anymore, James Conner. So if you're James Conner owner, it's not even who you want to own anymore. So who cares? Dropping everyone. Except for the two guys who actually didn't play this game. They're the only ones that I'll keep on my roster. That's how bad it's gotten. It's abysmal. Cincinnati Bengals, they continue to be 0-11. They continue their draft stock for that number one pick. Keep playing Ryan Finley. Horrible. 12-26, 192 yards, a touchdown. I mean, the sad part is that at less than 50% of completions, this has actually been one of his better statistical lines. Tyler Boyd was the real winner of the day. Five catches, 101 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. This is against a tough Steelers defense. This is in a situation that he has not produced at all with Ryan Finley at the quarterback position up until this point. Well, what does it mean moving forward? Can't trust Tyler Boyd. Can't trust that he can do this two weeks in a row. This is the first time he's actually had a good statistical line since week two. This is the best statistical line of the season. You're going to tell me Tyler Boyd's anything more than a wide receiver for after this week? Now, if he does it two weeks in a row, and I don't mean he has to put up 100 yards and a touchdown next week, but if he does it two weeks in a row where he's actually a competent, utilized wide receiver in this offense... Then for that playoff stretch, okay, Tyler Boyd might enter back into the high-end wide receiver four flex territory because of volume. That maybe Ryan Finley is getting better. Because this was a tough matchup. But you can't trust it after one game. Are you still keeping Tyler Boyd in your roster? Yeah, I was never going to drop Tyler Boyd. And if he does it two weeks in a row, all of a sudden going into playoffs, you might have an extra weapon on your hands that you weren't expecting to have. That might have a floor for you that you weren't expecting to have. But simmer your expectations just after one good performance. Don't go over over the handle because Tyler Boyd's suddenly back. Don't jump to that conclusion. Joe Mixon was fine. He had a floor. That's all I was expecting from him in this game because of the volume that he's been seeing. 18 carries, 79 yards in this one. Just wasn't involved in the passing game. Because once again, for whatever reason, they refused to get involved in the passing game. Do you know Renard had three targets for three catches and 31 yards, but not a single target for Joe Mixon? It's mind-boggling. But as long as he continues to get this work, Cordy Glenn finally made his season debut, which helped out the offensive line, and you saw it. Just his presence alone made that offensive line play much better than it had. And as long as that's the case, I think Joe Mixon's going to continue to be an RB, high in RB3, who has RB2 potential because he's getting the volume, even moving through the playoffs. So I would roster him, and I would start him, even if you're playoff bound. 
And if you are a playoff bound and you have Joe Mixon on your team, whew, my hat's off to you because you must have weathered a hell of a storm this season. You must have a hell of a good team around him to be in that position right now because Joe Mixon sunk a lot of lineups this year. But if you have him, he's he's looking like he's at least going to be competent for you moving forward with the ability to score because he's Joe Mixon. That's all we really need to talk about in that game. Moving on to another game that was fantasy irrelevant. Chicago Bears, New York Giants. Saquon Barkley. What do you do with this guy? I mean, you have to play him because he's Saquon Barkley. He can break one at any given moment. And this wasn't the easiest matchup in the world. But, whew. We're talking multiple games that Saquon is disappointed now at this point. 17 carries, 59 yards. But the real issue wasn't the lack of production on the running game. Look, that might happen against good defenses here, especially with the Giants' offense not being very good in their own right, especially with Daniel Jones, especially with teams lining up guys in the box. He's going to see extra attention. We know this. But the key is that he's supposed to balance himself out. He's supposed to get almost 100 yards from scrimmage every single week because he's supposed to be involved in the passing game. That's not there. It hasn't been consistent. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash ready. He's had games where he has been involved. He's had other games where he's been totally forgotten about, and this was one of those. Three targets, two catches, a yard for Saquon Barkley. By far your best offensive player. Look, we can talk all we want about Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard and whether Evan Ingram plays or not. All of that should be secondary to Saquon Barkley's involvement on this team. And that has not been the case. You got to continue to play him, but he's not an RB1. Not an elite RB1. He's an RB2 at this point because of volume. He has that ability. He can get RB1 performances for sure because he's Saquon Barkley. But that can't be your expectation going into your matchups right now. Daniel Jones was really terrible in this one. 150 yards. 21 of 36. Had two touchdowns. The only thing he didn't do bad was throw interceptions. But what are you supposed to do with this? Barry Slayton. Apparently, he's not going away in the rotation. Apparently, as long as Evan Ingram is out, there's enough targets to go around for the three receivers. For Barry Slayton, for Golden Tate, for Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard led the way in his return. Nine targets. You know what it got him? Five catches for 15 yards. That's why I told people not to play Sterling Shepard. Look, he got more volume than I necessarily expected him to get, but Daniel Jones is not good enough to keep everyone fantasy relevant. Golden Tate scores a touchdown for you, but that's all that saved your fantasy day because he only had three catches for 33 yards otherwise. Look, 
As long as Shepard is out there, the targets are going to be spread out. And as a result, I think I like Darius Slayton the best moving forward here. Look, he still has seven targets in this one, and even he's only relevant as long as Evan Ingram's out. Because once Evan Ingram gets back in here, then there's not enough targets to go around, and Slayton will be the odd man out. But as long as he is out, and there will the target he'll have enough targets to go his way. He's the only one on this team that has gameplay breaking ability. He's the only one on this team that's truly a perimeter wide receiver. He's the only one who can make a big play. Golden Tate score, he's been serviceable, but Golden Tate's nothing more than a wide receiver four. So is Sterling Shepard. Slayton's wide receiver four as well, with no Evan Ingram, but he's a wide receiver four with upside at least. I can't necessarily say those other guys have upside because they're more volume dependent fantasy players to begin with. That volume's not guaranteed. They don't have a good enough floor to play. On the bear side of the ball. It was starting to look really, really bad for Mitchell Trubisky early in this game to kick things off. Threw two picks in the red zone again, but played much better in the second half. 278 yards, a touchdown. He ran for a touchdown in this one. Not that you're playing Mitchell Trubisky from a fantasy relevancy in your lineup, but you want to see him at least be competent in plus matchups for guys such named as Allen Robinson, who returned to life this week. Six catches, 131 yards, a touchdown on 10 targets. He lives. Allen Robinson is a phenomenally talented wide receiver. It's a shame that we continue week in, week out because of the poorest play of Mitchell Trubisky, who does not belong in the NFL, because of him... We have to see his production be essentially tor- torment us from a week-to-week basis. Because who the hell knows what you're going to get? And uh, that's been Allen Robinson's entire career. Because if you go back before Mitch Trubisky, he had to deal with Blake Bortles. Who, I mean, for fantasy purposes was much better, but really wasn't a much better quarterback. Now... Who else outside of that? Anthony Miller had a solid game. Six catches, 77 yards on nine targets. Tariq Cohen had nine targets, seven catches, 29 yards. Really was only relevant if you're in a PPR league. Taylor Gabriel, one catch, three targets, 19 yards. Look, I'm just saying all everybody else's stats to illustrate the point that outside of Allen Robinson, there's not another pass catcher like on a consistent basis. Because while this was an Anthony Miller game, it's just as likely it could be Taylor Gabriel who's the second wide receiver the next game. And being that they play... This week against Detroit on Thanksgiving. There's a good chance they win that game. But you're going to have Darius Slay shadowing Allen Robinson. Can't play Allen Robinson with Mr. Trubisky playing the way he is against Darius Slay. So all of a sudden he gets taken out of the equation altogether. Because Trubisky can't get him the ball consistently. If he has any whiff of a tough matchup, he's not going to be able to produce. So while Allen Robinson came back to play, he's going to be nothing more than a low-end wide receiver for next week. Getting shadow coverage because his quarterback's a bum. Look, hopefully we only have however many games left of the season, four or five at this point, of Mitchell Trubisky being a quarterback in the NFL, or at least being the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears, for Allen Robinson's sake. But for this season, redraft leagues, you're keeping Allen Robinson on your team because he shows you he has his capability if he has the right matchup to take advantage of not going to be very often other than that in this game the only thing to talk about is david montgomery 13 carries 22 yards why he only got 13 carries in this game is the part that boggles my mind this should have been a plus matchup for him against the new york giants who've been terrible against the run all season long the 
Matt Nagy should have came out with the game plan of running the football. They were never down by more than a score in this game, and they were actually up for the majority of this game. And yet, somehow, Mitch Trubisky walks away still throwing the ball 41 times, while David Montgomery only had 13 carries. That's on Matt Nagy. David Montgomery was somebody who was getting 20 carries every single week, and for good reason, to hide Mitchell Trubisky. If that is not going to be the case moving forward, David Montgomery is a low-end RB3 at best. A low-end flex play at best. Because now, even in plus matchups, you don't know if Matt Nagy is going to remember to run the football. Which is mind-boggling when you you think about how bad Mitchell Trubisky... I can't even talk. Mitchell Trubisky's been playing. But that's been the case now for the past couple of weeks. Now all of a sudden you have to have a plus matchup, and even then it's a little shaky at best. This was a game I expected David Montgomery to get back on track, and now that he hasn't, you're still rostering him on your team. He's still the lead back. He's still a starting NFL running back in the NFL. But going into the week, I don't know how you trust that he's going to get the necessary volume. And the necessary volume for him is he has to get 20 carries. That's the only chance he has to be able to maybe get you 80 yards and a touchdown which is what you're looking for as we're starting to gear up for our playoff matchups with only one one game left in the regular season. Can't trust them. Not into, uh, hopefully we see something different. Hopefully he gets back to running the football. But given everything that's happened, the fact that he forgot to run the ball again in a, a pro game script for that game, I don't know how you trust them. Dolphins and the Browns. Leave it to the Dolphins to get an offense back on track. So this is what we talked about leading up into the week. It was going to go one of two ways, I said. It was either the Browns would do just enough to win, which would be Nick Chubb's game, or they would take the opportunity to get their offense right. Well, I will give them credit. They took the opportunity to get their offense right. Baker Mayfield was tremendous, 327 yards, three touchdowns, only one pick, which was irrelevant, really, when he threw it. Nick Chubb still had a great game, 21 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Even Kareem Hunt found the end zone in this one. He was worked in, uh, not so much in the passing game. Eight carries, 37 yards, had a rushing touchdown, only had two catches for nine yards. That part didn't really surprise me. I was surprised at how much he got worked in in the rushing game. Because with Kareem Hunt, we knew that against the Dolphins, they weren't really going to need him to throw the football. This wasn't a situation where Baker Mayfield needed a safety blanket. He should have been able... We knew he's going to be able to hit Beckham and hit Jarvis Landry pretty easily against this defense. We knew that. So we knew Kareem Hunt probably wouldn't be worked in that much in the passing game, but the fact that he still came through for you in the rushing game and got you that rushing touchdown shows that Kareem Hunt is going to be a flex play, especially in PPR leagues, from here on out. He's going to be a flex play. They play the Steelers next week. He'll be involved in the passing game in that one. I don't know how much he'll be involved in the rushing game, but he will be involved in the passing game. Jarvis Landry. Talk about a revenge game. Jarvis Landry, 10 catches, 148 yards, two touchdowns on 13 targets. Do you think that they wanted Jarvis Landry to get his revenge? My goodness. Couldn't stick him. Couldn't get to him. And Baker Mayfield was loving it because he could actually hit both of his top guys whenever he wanted. Odell Beckham finally gets into the end zone. Six catches, 84 yards, a touchdown, eight targets. Frankly, I'm disappointed because there's no reason in my mind Odell Beckham shouldn't have had 100 yards in this game. So frankly, I'm a little disappointed. But it was good to see this offense kind of get back on track. Now the key will be next week. They play against a tough Steelers defense, a defense that they really struggled against the first time they played them two weeks ago. 
But now with this confidence that they have of finally getting a good game under their belt, does it change things? It might. And we'll talk about that as we go into the preview later on this week. But it was definitely a good step in the right direction. On the Dolphins side of the ball, Ryan Fitzpatrick just doing his YOLO thing. Look, he's not fantasy relevant, so we don't care. And the rushing game is not fantasy relevant either. Kalen Blage continues to be, you know, a waste of space. But Devontae Parker, 11 targets, 6 catches, 91 yards. The only thing he didn't do is score for you in this one. But he just continues to have a safe floor week in and week out. He is a high-end wide receiver 3. Who is really just a touchdown away from being a wide receiver 2 week in and week out. That's it. So he should be in your starting lineups. Whether it be a flex, whether it be your wide receiver position. But he has one of the highest, safest floors that you can count on from week to week basis. Because Fitzpatrick is just peppering him. Now, yes, Alan Hearns scored in this one. Yes, Mike Gusecki scored in this one. But the only the only Dolphin player that I care about, because he's able to produce on a week-in, week-out basis, no matter the matchup, is Devontae Parker. And I'm glad to see him go. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. I've always known he's talented. I'm glad to see him actually be in a position where he's getting the production that he is and being able to play. It's it's ha- Even if it's in a terrible situation... I'm glad he's finally given that opportunity and shows that, hey, you know what? I'm pretty good. Give me the ball. So I'm glad that's happening for him. Next game we want to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Atlanta Falcons. This was a was a great fantasy game for a few people involved here. Chris Godwin was the big guy on the day. Seven catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns on eight targets. He had exactly the amount of same amount of targets as Mike Evans, who only had four catches for 50 yards. Second week in a row. It went from, we only get Chris Godwin the ball, to we're putting an emphasis on getting Mike Evans the ball. And they did that for a while. And it was a little bit worrisome if you're a Chris Godwin owner, because while he was still able to give you decent stat lines, it was a, a little concerning that is he not going to have those big games anymore because they have to get Mike Evans the ball. But now all of a sudden we've had two weeks in a row where it's gone back the other way. It's gone back to Chris Godwin. Look, the fact is, both of these guys are stars. Both of these guys are in your lineups every single week. You're not going to worry about it. They have safe floors because of the high-volume passing in this offense, and they both have high ceilings because of their capabilities as players. Period. Chris Godwin's actually been better this season, but I'm still not... You know, if you're disappointed with Mike Evans the last two weeks, I get it, but it's not going to stop you from playing him. It's not going to stop the expectations that you have for him going into the week, so it kind of becomes irrelevant in that sense. You want to see him play better? He will have better games throughout your playoff run, I guarantee you. Jameis, 313 yards, three touchdowns. What was impressive to me about Jameis in this one is that he had 313 yards on 18 completions. That was it. He only threw the ball 28 times. So that was actually uncharacteristically low volume for this offense, and yet the passing game went off like it did. That's the nature of this offense. That's the nature of Jameis. That's just what you're going to get sometimes. He still had two picks, but he still gives you a good fantasy day. Ronald Jones winds up getting the rushing touchdown in this one. 12 carries, 51 yards. Takes the lead again by a carry over Peyton Barber, who had 11 carries for 32 yards because he's a waste. Jones was also involved in the passing game. Three catches, 16 yards on three targets in this one. It's a back-and-forth seesaw. They didn't, they didn't throw the ball that much. They didn't need him as much in the passing game. Ronald Jones is still the guy you want to own of these two. He's still a guy who has flex appeal. 
because of being the lead back for this team. And it's, a, it's an offense that scores. So he's going to have situations where he's going to be able to score. But what's stopping from going back to a game like last week where Peyton Barber was the one who scored? These are the issues, right? You're getting into the playoffs. You want to know who you can trust. He's not a guy you can trust, but he's a guy who has to be rostered. And you're going to have to play him based on the matchups that you have coming up. On the Falcon side of the ball. Really disappointing. If you weren't a Calvin Ridley owner, you're really disappointed. Calvin Ridley was fine. Six catches, 85 yards. He got you a touchdown. He had 14 targets. You're not complaining about that. But if you're a Matt Ryan owner, 271 yards, didn't have a passing touchdown in this game, and throw a pick against Tampa Bay. If you're a Julio Jones owner, five catches for 68 yards, that's it. Now, Julio Jones did get knocked out for a bit in this game, but he came back in, and he wasn't lighting it up before that. It was all Calvin Ridley. Russell Gage got worked in. Eight catches, 76 yards on 10 targets. He continues to be a guy who can be peppered in the slot. But against Tampa Bay for Julio Jones, who really hasn't had a big week in a long time now. He started off the season really strong. He has fizzled ever since. Again, kind of similar to Mike Evans. You can be disappointed. It's still not going to stop you from playing him. Still not... Still not going to stop him from having a wide receiver one expectation every single week. Better days are ahead. But it's still disappointing to see in the best matchup that they could possibly have for him to, again, not have a big Julio Jones type of game. Hasn't scored since week three. After scoring three weeks in a row, he hasn't scored. Back to being Julio who can't find the end zone. It's mind-boggling. It really is. As far as the running game goes, it was terrible. I mean... Quadri Allison had eight carries for 20 yards. He's the one who got the touchdown. Brian Hill had nine carries for 14 yards. He had three catches for 13 yards. I mean, look, when Devontae Freeman comes back, it's clear-cut his backfield. Everybody else behind him has had their opportunity now and clearly suck. And there's a really good chance that Devontae Freeman is going to come back this week. We said They said it was going to be two weeks. This will be the third week. They keep holding out hope. Dan Quinn's trying to fight for his job right now. So he's doing everything that he can to try to be as competitive as he possibly can be for the rest of the season in hopes to make a case to have one more year. I can't imagine him getting one more year, but that's what he's doing right now. So if these guys are healthy enough to play, they're going to play. That's the good news from a fantasy perspective. So I do expect if Vontae Freeman is truly good after two weeks, like they said that was the initial diagnosis, I do expect him to be back playing in this game. I expect to be his backfield. So he's somebody who comes in and he is a low in RB2. Because of the volume and because of they clearly are clearly terrible behind him. This game was so disappointing. So disappointing. Alright, we're going to take one last break. we got three more games that we're going to recap before we close down the episode. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. So this next game in and of itself was not an interesting game. It didn't have playoff implications. It wasn't a very good game. It was only 19-16. to 16. But for fantasy purposes, there's quite a few guys to talk about here, quite a few sleeper guys to talk about moving forward, and we need to know what the value of what they're going to be moving forward is going to be. 
What does it mean coming out of this game? What can we take out of this? And I'm talking about the Detroit Lions and the Washington Redskins. Jeff Driscoll had his first bad game since becoming the starter and relief for Matt Stafford. Only 207 yards, but one touchdown pass, three interceptions. That was the key. If he didn't have so many turnovers, he would have had a fine Jeff Driscoll day. He would have had a high floor. He would have got your 18 points because he did tack on 63 yards rushing. So he continues to show you has that high floor because he's going to run. He's going to scramble. He just can't turn the ball over that many times because otherwise then you get in, that's when you get in trouble. That's when he kills your fantasy day because you know he's not going to give you a ton in the passing game. And on top of that, it's who does he go to? Well, Kenny Galladay had the most yards. But he was severely out-targeted by Marvin Jones. Severely out-targeted. Jones had 11 targets to Kenny Galladay's four. Now, Galladay caught all of his targets, four catches, 61 yards, while Marvin Jones had five catches, but only for 46 yards. But it's just clear, for whatever reason, Jeff Driscoll is looking for Marvin Jones more than Kenny Galladay. And it's not just this week. This is the third week in a row where Marvin Jones has out-targeted Kenny Galladay. Now, it's the second of those three weeks where Kenny Galladay's outscored Marvin Jones from a fantasy perspective because he had the big bomb touchdown against Chicago a couple weeks ago. And then, of course, he had Marvin Jones at the two touchdowns last week. But in this game, he outscores him because you know he had 61 yards, so it was 46. But it doesn't give you great confidence moving forward. So now, all of a sudden, Kenny Galladay went from a guy who is a bona fide wide receiver two every single week to a guy who probably has to be considered more of a wide receiver three at this point who's just really talented and it only takes one play. But he doesn't have the same floor that he had. And that really hurts going into a playoff stretch when Kenny Galladay's been a key ingredient for a lot of teams. Marvin Jones might actually have more value. Marvin Jones is a wide receiver three as well. But you can make the argument they pretty much have the same value right now. Because Marvin Jones has been getting targeted more over the past few weeks... Because Kenny Galladay hasn't scored outside of one big play in the touchdown, they're pretty similar. They're both wide receiver threes at this point. I would still rank Kenny Galladay a little bit ahead of Marvin Jones because he's Kenny Galladay and his ability, what his role is supposed to be in that offense. But unless Matthew Stafford returns, it's going to be very hit or miss moving forward. I mean, against Chicago, I don't know how you love it. You can go back to, well, he had a big play against them. Jeff Driscoll was able to have a decent game against Chicago. The first time around, this game will be in Detroit rather than in Chicago. That does help. And I think you're going to have to probably play Galladay this upcoming week. But I don't know how you're going to feel good about it. And yet, somehow you feel better about Marvin Jones. It's, it's, it's an oxymoron situation. But point is, both of these guys are targeted heavily. Danny Amendola is a guy who's going to be a non-factor more times than not. And both of them basically you have to look at it as have low floors with Jeff Triscoll as a starting quarterback, but still have the ability to get their targets, still have the ability to score. So that's going to put them in the conversation to start in your lineups. Depends on what you have. I know, it's a hard situation. I wish I could give you more insight, but... That's what we've seen through three games. That's what you're going to have to lean on. Jeff Driscoll is still going to be a streaming quarterback to me. Now, he's going to be on the lower end going against Chicago this upcoming week. But he's still a streaming quarterback to me. I mean, he's not any worse than Mr. Trubisky. In fact, I'll take Jeff Driscoll over Mr. Trubisky all day, every day. Including this week coming up. So, you know, for what it's worth, he has that floor because he's going to run. 
You just want him to take down the turnovers. I don't know if we're going to see Matthew Stafford. I mean, the report came out today that the, the team was talking about having discussions about maybe shutting him down, but he doesn't want to do that. And to that, I say, I didn't report that on my Twitter feed because to me, that's not news. Anybody with a brain knows that anyone with common sense in that Detroit Lions organization should be talking about shutting down Matthew Stafford the rest of the season if he has fractured bones in his back and the doctors are saying it's going to take six weeks before they're fully healed. Anyone with a brain knows that, that they've had those discussions. But if Matthew Stafford is good to go, if he's able to practice at some point, then he'll play. I don't think he's going to play this week. So do with that what you will. And when we talk about the preview matchups on Wednesday night on Sportscaster Live... Make sure you check that out at MDFF Belly Up USN because we will be live for that uh, on Wednesday night. The audio version will still be available on Thursday on Thanksgiving morning. So when you guys are driving to your families, go ahead and give that a listen. It'll still be available to, as usual on Thursday morning. But Wednesday night is when the, the live feed is going to be, the live episode. So check that out if you have the opportunity to do so. And we'll talk about all this. Other than that, the other thing we're going to take out of is Bo Scarball. 18 carries, 98 yards, just two away from two away from 100. Didn't get a touchdown in this game. He did fumble, though. But this is key. He fumbled and was not put in the doghouse. That tells you something. That tells me that it is clear that they think two things. One, they found something in Bo Scarborough. They have a guy that they believe that they can actually lean on to give them rushing production on a consistent basis. But two... They have zero faith in Ty Johnson and J.D. McKissick taking in that role, and they're not even going to bother. So, in some ways, him fumbling and getting to see that in action is a good thing. Now, you don't want it to be a habit. But Bo Scarball against the Chicago defense that teams have been able to run on, he's going to be a flex-worthy consideration next week, especially if he's going to be the lead back now. He's not going to be involved in the passing game. He only had one target in this game. You're not going to expect that. It's going to be J.D. McKissick. So you like him more in standard leagues. But he's somebody who's going to probably get 16, 18 carries, especially with Jeff Driscoll as quarterback, because even in games in which they might not be always pro game script for the run, they're still going to have to play somewhat conservatively. And it's not like there's going to be a ton of points scored in that Chicago game either. On the Redskins side of the ball, they get their first win. Dwayne Haskins gets his first win. He was so excited about it, he actually forgot to go out into the field to take the victory uh, quarterback kneel down to run out the rest of the clock because he thought the game was over when they intercepted at the end of the game. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Couldn't find his helmet. They had to bring Case Keenum in and take the snap. I mean, it was hysterical. But, you know, in some ways, I don't blame him. He's been under so much scrutiny for a guy who's a rookie quarterback that we all knew was a little bit more raw than the other rookie quarterbacks coming into this class we knew was going to need a little bit more time to develop. He's been under such scrutiny because he hasn't been lighting it up. Who the hell is going to... I, look, I'm a big Dwayne Haskins fan, so I'll preface that. But this is a talented guy. This is a, this is a truly talented franchise-level guy. But what in the hell is a rookie quarterback, who we know is a little bit raw still, from a fundamental standpoint, supposed to do with this offense that he's somehow supposed to shine through? What has Daniel Jones been since they played Tampa Bay in his first start? Absolute crap. And yet he still somehow comes off as this guy who has a bright future. But Dwayne Haskins, who has, who's his best weapon, is another rookie, a wide receiver, Terry McLaurin, 
has a carousel behind him in the backfield, has no offensive line, doesn't have a second passing option to be able to go to, and yet somehow he's supposed to shine through all that. Daniel Jones, who has a proven wide receiver in Golden Tate, proven wide receiver in Sterling Shepard, went healthy, a proven game-plaking tight end in Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley, who's arguably one of the best running backs in the NFL behind him. And he's been absolute crap. But somehow he has the future and Dwayne Haskins doesn't? I keep hearing people talk about, oh, maybe the Redskins should draft a quarterback and just become a Josh Rosen situation. That better not happen. That better not happen. You want to talk about a stupid move for an organization? That would be that would take the cake. That would take the cake for the Washington Redskins. Absolutely ridiculous. So you didn't have that be a thought. Sorry, that's just my one rant. I know it's not fantasy relevant, but I had to get that off my chest. As far as fantasy goes, no, Dwayne Haskins wasn't very good. 13 29, 156 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Terry McLaurin did have a pretty solid floor in this game. Five catches, 72 yards on 12 targets. So he's getting the ball more. Haskins is going to him consistently. The target share is there. He hasn't had a great game since Haskins taken over, but now last week he had three catches, 69 yards, and was one big play away from having over 100 yards last week. And then this week he had a very solid game. And this was a tough matchup because he had Darius Slay all over him the entire matchup. So I think Terry McLaurin is somebody who's going to go back to being a high-end wide receiver three for you moving forward in some plus matchups that they're going to have coming up. Because he's just he's getting the volume. It's going to be there. Outside of that, Darius Geis, 10 carries, 32 yards, had two targets. Nobody else really involved. AP had also had 10 carries for 27 yards. He actually had one target, one catch, 22 yards. So, Geis and AP split the, split the touches 50-50. If that's going to be the case, I don't think either one of them have a ton of value for you. I don't think either one of them are guys that you can play in your fantasy lineups. Are they both rosterable? Yeah, they're both rosterable because if one goes down and the other one becomes the lead back, then they're going to have a volume. They're going to have a flex appeal. But it's going to take one of these guys getting hurt, I think, at this point. I mean, remember, for those of you who are saying, well, well, moving forward, Darius Geis is getting more and more involved. He should take over. I would agree with that logic, except for, look at it this way, Adrian Peterson didn't practice until Friday and still split all the touches. What happens if he practices all week? So I don't think, I think Bill Callahan is not going to take AP out of the equation. Moving forward, because nothing else will really break down in this game. The Titans, the Jacksonville Jaguars. There was actually a lot more fantasy points in this game than I was expecting. On the Jaguar side of the ball, Nick Foles played awful. Now, his statistical line wasn't terrible, but he played awful. And I would like to point out, for all of you Nick Foles lovers out there, all you anti-guys who are like, oh, are they? Well, of course he's better than Gardner Minshew. Really? Is he? I know Minshew had a bad game against Houston and London, but he's been playing pretty well before that. And the Jacksonville Jaguars as a team have been pretty competitive in every game before that. You know what they've done the last two weeks that Nick Foles has started? Lose by 20-plus points. Lose by 22 points, exactly, actually. Last two weeks each. Really think you should have benched Nick Foles, uh, Minshew for Nick Foles? He was 32 of 48, 272 yards. Didn't have a touchdown, didn't have an interception. Very vanilla. Very Nick Foles-like. DJ Chark had five catches, 38 yards on six targets. You want to know how more targets? D.D. Westbrook. 
So I know everyone came out after last week like, oh, well, guess what? DJ Chark, he went off. He went crazy. And he did. And a lot of people tried to throw it in my face because I said, you know, I expect D.D. Westbrook to have the better rapport. I expect D.D. Westbrook to be the more targeted receiver moving forward. And it was very lopsided last week in D.D. Chark's favor. But this week, D.D. Westbrook had eight catches of 69 yards on nine targets. I expect more games like this moving forward. And it worries me a little bit when it comes to D.J. Chark. Nick Foles is not very good. Newsflash. Now, the only plus thing out of this game is that Foles threw the ball 48 times, but Leonard Fournette still touched the ball 33 times in this game. That's what you have to see. And as a whole, even though they were still blown out by 22 points, the offense was still more competent. And you know what? Fournette did something else that he doesn't normally get to do. He scored. And not once, but twice. 24 carries, 97 yards, two touchdowns. And this is a tough this is a tough run defense against Tennessee Titans. This is what you want to see. Nine catches for 62 yards on 12 targets. He was the most targeted pass catcher in this game. Now, part of that had to be to do with the way you know, the Titans were playing defense. They were bailing out on the wide receivers on the perimeter, and they were just kind of letting them dunk, dip it down to Leonard Fournette all game long. Plus, you know, the Jaguars were down from the get-go in this game. Especially coming out of the half. The fact is that Leonard Fournette still gets a crazy amount of touches. More weeks than not. And it shows you, if he can get in situations where he actually gets to score. Because it's been amazing that he hasn't scored more this season with the amount of touches that he's had. If he's going to be able to score on a consistent basis, he is going to be a high-end RB1. Rather than a low-end RB1, high-end RB2 because he doesn't get the chance to score. He just gets a lot of touches. So hopefully we're going to see him get to score more moving forward because there's a good chance you're going to make the playoffs with Leonard Fournette in your lineup. It's a good chance he's going to be there for a lot of teams that are trying to make a championship run. So this is what you want to see. And I have confidence that it's something that you might see moving forward. On the Titans side of the ball, Ryan Tannehill only threw the ball 18 times, but he was effective. 14 completions, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Big one to A.J. Brown. Four catches, 135 yards, a touchdown. A lot of it, of course, coming off that 65-yard touchdown reception. But he had five targets, which led the way. Corey Davis only had three targets, two catches, 29 yards. But what do we know about the Tennessee Titans? Take the production of the wide receivers with a grain of salt. Because you you don't know what you're going to get from a week-to-week basis. A.J. Brown had a great game this week. It's just as likely he goes for one catch for 18 yards next week. You can't trust any of the wide receivers. You can't trust really anybody. I know a lot of people want to jump on Janu Smith because Laney Walker didn't play. Uh, Janu Smith wasn't targeted in this game. Nope, not one target. There's only one fantasy relevant player on this team. It's Derrick Henry. 19 carries, 159 yards, two touchdowns. Just always manages to get that big play against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he's the only fantasy relevant player on this team. That's it. That's all. I know Ryan Tannehill, from a fantasy perspective, had a great game because he also had two rushing touchdowns. But it's not something you're going to trust. On a week-to-week basis, as a streamer, Ryan Tannehill in the playoffs, were you crazy? No. Derrick Henry's the only fantasy-relevant player on this team. And he just continues to be a RB2 who has RB1 potential because he can make that big play. And frankly, right now, with the running back situation being what it is, he might need to be considered a low-end RB1 week in and week out moving forward even though he's not involved in the passing game. That's the amazing part. Next game, last game that we're going to talk about in this podcast, Cowboys-Patriots. 
actually not a lot to go over in this game. Very abysmal, 9-13. Look, it was terrible weather in this game. We knew going into it between these two defenses being pretty good, between it being a bad weather game, that there probably just wasn't going to be a lot of points to go around. And there wasn't. Dak Prescott wasn't very good. 19 of 33, 212 yards, no touchdowns, an interception. Nobody in the passing game can get that involved. Randall Cobb had a decent line because he had that big 59-yard catch and run. And he had seven targets, but four catches, 86 yards. Michael Gallup had four catches, 55 yards. Knew he didn't have a big ceiling going into this matchup. The the real sad part was Amari Cooper goosed you. Now, he had a couple catches called back due to penalty, which was rough. But at the end of the day, the official stat line is two targets, zero catches, zero yards. I mean, that that probably killed a lot of people. Because if you had Amari Cooper, even though you knew this was going to be a tough matchup, I have to say it was probably hard-pressed for you to actually bench Amari Cooper. Especially in this offense, the way they've played, the way he's been the number one wide receiver. So I know that killed a lot of people, but better days are ahead for him and Michael Gallup. Randall Cobb's the tough one, because Randall Cobb all of a sudden has been really involved as of late, and he's another one of those guys that we're talking about playoffs now. We're not talking, you know, we're in that part of the season where not everyone who does well suddenly has value the next following week because of where we are in the season. And he's he's one of those guys where it's tough because he's he's had a few good weeks in a row now. But are you going to find yourself who's a playoff bound team in a situation that you're actually going to be playing Randall Cobb in your lineups? I don't think so. And I think if you're in the playoffs, you must have better options unless you get ravaged by injury. Which right now at the receiver position, there aren't too many top-end guys who are hurt or, or expected to miss time. So I don't think you're going to find yourself in that situation. Ezekiel Elliott, 21 carries, 86 yards, 4 catches, 40 yards. So he gets you over 100 yards from scrimmage. He doesn't score in this game. But against a tough Patriots team, you're not going to complain about that stat line. I know Elliott hasn't been the elite RB1 that you wanted him to be, but all things considered, he's still an RB1. So you're not going to worry about it. On the Patriots side of the ball, Tom Brady. Whew. Again, bad weather and everything else, but and he had no weapons in this game. Let's be clear about that too. No Mohamed Sanu, no Philip Dorsett. But 17-37 for 190 yards. Ugh. He did have a touchdown. That touchdown went to Nikhil Harry, the rookie. He only had that one touchdown. It was his only catch of the game too on four targets. Julian Edelman, look, you knew he was going to get targeted a ton in this game especially with nobody else around anyway, but he just continues to be a guy who just has such a high floor. And if you're in PPR leagues, he just continues to be a serviceable guy for you. Eight catches, 93 yards on 12 targets. Yeah, that's that's what you're expecting out of Julian Edelman moving forward. They're just, they continue to have to use the quick passing game. They keep the pressure off of Brady. Now, here's, here's something interesting to actually talk about moving forward. So going into this game, we had a big thing about Isaiah Wins coming back. What was that going to mean for the offensive line? What was that going to mean for the running game? And all in all, it was pretty successful. Sony Michelle got back to getting the work. 20 carries. 85 yards. So over 4 yards a carry. He didn't get the t- he didn't score. And he's not involved in the passing game, but you already know that. But if he's going to get 20 carries, and they're going to ha- This is a tough run defense. He's going to have success. Now that Isaiah wins in there, this offensive line is going to be able to get him a consistent push. All of a sudden, he's somebody who might very well wind up being quite valuable to you in the playoff run because he has a nice playoff schedule here as far as run defenses go coming up. 
Sonny Michelle could wind up turning into a league winner if they're actually able to block with the matchups they have. It's very gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see. That's all I'm saying. If you're in the if you're looking playoff bound, you have Sonny Michelle. I think there's gonna be reason for optimism ahead. And next week against Houston is going to be another barometer right before that playoff matchup starts to really kind of get a good feel for it. But if he has a similar stat line, I'm going to feel pretty decent about Sonny Michelle being a flex play for me with a guy who might have RB2 potential if they're able to get this running game going. The guy who was super disappointing was James White. I mean, three targets, one catch for negative six yards. How does that happen? Better days are ahead. You're not going to worry about that too much. That's going to wrap up the episode. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We had a lot to get through. We're going to be back tomorrow with the Sunday night, the Monday night, and the waiver wire report. All very, very important. Remember, we will be live Wednesday night. I will I will message out the times to all of you. If you follow me on Twitter, at MDSFFshow, for all the player news update notifications as well, you can always contact me on Facebook, at MDFFshow, and of course, check out the website for the rankings, and you can email me directly through there as well, www.mdffshow.com. Make sure you're checking out any one of my networks, Unwrap Sports, Belly Up Sports, or Overtime Heroics, and of course, giving a big shout out to Belly Up and Unwrap Sports as we will be live on Sportscaster, and that's who uh, we are partners with on there as well with the leaderboards there, and they're doing a lot of great content, so make sure you're following them along too. I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a lovely day. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 